passage today is Psalm 95. It is the final psalm for our Honest Prayers series. Next Sunday, we're starting a uh, new series based on the Gospel of Mark called Ichthus. And you'll hear more about that soon. But for today, let's I invite you to follow along as I read from Psalm 95. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah, in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, They shall not enter my rest. This is God's word for his people today. So, Psalm 95 at its core is an invitation to the people of God to join together in worship. God wants to call his people together into a, an assembly who would worship him. There's a question I've been thinking about since the very start of the COVID quarantine. And that's this. When this is all over, and, you know, all the quarantine stuff is done, will followers of Christ be more ready than ever to gather in person for worship? When we finally, there's no more phases or restrictions, will we be like, yes, let's get together, let's, let's meet inside and let's cuddle up close, you know? Um, will we value the fact that worship, the in-person worship even more, or had worshiping by computer become a habit that we've gotten kind of accustomed to keeping our distance and, you know, we'll be satisfied with, with worshiping from afar in that sense. I don't know if we'll know the answer to that, you know, for another year or so of when, what will happen, what will be our attitude. Um, but it's actually a question that I think it's been in my head for a while. There's a book um, that I read. It's, it's probably buried in my office. I have all my books in boxes, so I need to un unpack them. But it's by uh, George Barna, and it's called The Barna Revolution. And it, it poses this idea that the local church will no longer really be needed. And it, it comes from, and it's actually probably 10 years old now, if not older, um, the the stats on the church closings, and Barna is known for stats and polls and surveys, that they, the notice for how many congregations were, were closing each year. And, and he says, you know what? Now that the Internet age is here, 
we can get our sermons through a podcast. In fact, you can get the best sermons available um, online, you know, by, by typing in. It may be even possible, friends, that you might hear a better preacher than me if you search hard online. But um, you can also get um, these great worship experiences through concerts and conferences, and they have the Alive and the Passion and the Hillsong conferences, and you can get all you need from worship from those and, you know, with smoke, smoke machines and full bands and everything and, and have those, that close experience with God. Or, and you can get the fellowship and discussion you need by going to the local coffee house and talking theology and philosophy if that's into your thing. And, and if you want to serve God, well, there's ministry set up to you can go overseas and, and do a mission trip in, a, in a, some, some foreign country in an amazing way. And so you can get everything you need as a believer. You don't really need to engage and connect in the local church. And so Barna's hypothesis is that the church would not disappear, but local churches would become less and less important. Um, do you know people that sort of, they believe in God, um, they, you know, they're, they're Christians or they see themselves as Christians, but have said, I don't really need to attend church. There's a thing that happens when people find out I'm a pastor. Usually in a conversation, you know, if I'm out, I don't immediately say, Hey, I'm a pastor, but eventually it comes out somehow. And, and as soon as they do it, this almost always happens. And I chuckle, they want to explain to me how they believe in God, but don't want to go to church anymore. And they, they have to tell me why they've stopped attending church. And I just, I don't, I've learned not to try to argue or defend her. I just, I just chuckle like, yeah, there's, there's a good number of that. And ha, do you know people in that situation that, that would certainly say they're a believer in Jesus? They just don't feel the need to connect, to be a part of a, a group of people that are worshiping each week in this way. So I'm hoping and the small sliver of hope that just maybe this enforced quarantine will give us that desire to worship in person with each other again when we really can. That maybe it will spark the hearts of followers of Christ to say, yes, I need to engage with the people around me and be a part of this, this worshiping community. But we'll see. Psalm 95 calls people together for worship. Let us worship the Lord. Um, it's an invitation. And, and I'll tell you, this wasn't actually one of my original picks when I was doing the sermon series. This wasn't on my radar map. But I notice how it starts very joyful and, you know, sing aloud and shout for joy and all that stuff. And what caught my attention was how it ends. Did you notice that when I read it? Like, and I swore on my wrath, they will never enter my rest. Like, what happens that you go from joyful singing to that statement by God? And so we're going to look at how we get there. But I want to start with the first half. And what does Psalm 95 tell us about worship? Now, there's a lot in here. Um, in these few verses. But the first thing is, the most important question is not how to worship, but who to worship. You know, we give a lot of attention to, you know, do we sing hymns? 
or modern worship songs, you know, organ or guitar and, and all the stuff, the mechanics of worship, and th- that is important. But far more important in the scriptures is who are you worshiping? Now, you might say, well, obviously we worship God, and, and, but I want you to think about that word God. God is a general name for God. Um, in Hebrew, it is El. In Greek, it is Theos. And those words can apply to God Almighty, whom we worship. It also, the same word, in, at least in Greek and Hebrew, can be applied to the other gods of the pagan nations. It's a general name for a god. Psalm 95 points us to worship not God in general, but the Lord. The one, the God who has revealed himself to his people. And we breeze through that because we don't take notice of that, the the difference between the Lord and the God. If you see in your Bible, Lord, especially if it's written in all small caps in the Old Testament, that is the word Yahweh. They used to call it Jehovah. And it is the personal name for God, not the generic name God, the personal name. When Moses was confronted by God in with the, um, the burning bush. And, and Moses says, all right, you want me to go tell people about you? What name shall I tell them of who's talking to me? You know, And that's when God says, you can tell them, I am has sent you to them. Yahweh is I am that I am. The personal name for God. The God who's shown up. He showed up to Abraham. He showed up to the people of Israel time and again. And now, for us as believers in Christ, we believe that he showed up in person, in the flesh, as the Son of God walking the earth. That is who we worship on Sunday mornings. How do we worship? Well, joyfully, exuberantly, with, with energy. It says, shout aloud. You know, let us make a noise to God. Um, worship should not be seen as boring. I, I, I have to confess that when I was a kid, going to Sunday morning church felt boring to me. And I hope no one feels bored. There is a time for reverence and solemnity as you approach God. There's a place for that. But worship should not be something we endure Worship should include joy and laughter and, and energy. That's, that's really all we're told about how to worship. Worship him with energy. What reason, what reasons does it give to worship the Lord? And it, I, I, I found six that I could pull out from here. The first is really simple. The Lord is great. And great in the sense of majestic and powerful, and um, awesome. Like, if you saw him, you would just fall on your face before him, which is what tends to happen in the Bible. Um, Full of glory. So the Lord is great. Just for that, we should worship him. The second reason it gives is he's the great king above all gods. So there's this curious thing. We, We believe we're monotheists, one god, but in the Old Testament, it, it does 
speak of these other spiritual powers in the universe. Now, they are not God in the sense of rule, you know, being above, transcendent, but they are spiritual powers in this world. But all of them ultimately answer to the one true God who created them all. God, there is one God. He is holy and unique and not to be compared to anything in this world. For that, he is worthy of our worship. Uh, a third reason for worship is, is the God rules the earth. Notice how it keeps saying the mountains are his, the sea is his, everything you see is his. He made it, um, and that's number four, but, but, but God is sovereign over the universe. God in his wisdom and love is ruling. Now, God in his sovereignty allows freedom of action. But ultimately, everyone answers to the God who rules this universe. Fourth reason to, to give him praise is not just that he made the world, but he designed it. How awesome is the creation? I, I love the fact that we get to worship outside for this season, right? And just to, to see the trees and uh, got, got to have a day up at Lake George recently. That is an amazing place. Like, you should tell more people about it, but then you don't want it to get too crowded. Like, that is that's probably the most awesome thing I've seen so far as I've been to upstate New York. So if you're watching online, you know, check it out sometime. Um, but this world is incredible. Life is incredible. God designed it. That is no accident. There's no way it could come about by chance. There is a designer, and for that, he's worthy of worship. Another reason to worship, and I, I, I love this, he is our God, meaning he has claimed us as his people. He, he has said, you are mine, you are my people. Um, for the people of Israel, it was he, he claimed the descendants of Abraham as his own people. Um, for us, we who put our faith in the Son of God, we are claimed as His. In John 1.12, it says, Yet to all who receive Him, Jesus, to those who believe in His name, He gives the right to become sons and daughters of God. We are His people. The sixth reason is He is our shepherd. Not merely does He like call us His people, but he is the shepherd who sees what's going on in our lives. He's not inactive. He's not distant and far away, but he leads and guides his people. He didn't just start the universe and set it spinning and say, hey, let's see what happens here. No, he is engaged in, in our world, especially amidst his people and in our hearts and lives. Those are just six reasons. To worship God. I bet we could come up with more. We didn't even talk about forgiveness and redemption and, and all the good things that come through, through Christ in that sense. But I just want to ask you this. Which of these reasons grabs you the most? If you had to pick one of those six, which reason, which, which of the six would you pick to say, man, that alone, for that alone he's worthy of worship. What got you out of bed this morning to worship the Lord? What brought you all the way here to worship him? It is easy to stop there. And in fact, most of the time when I've 
dealt with Psalm 95, I don't read beyond that that phrase. Like it's such a great, you know, worship God. We have all these good reasons. And and so as I I read it recently and what caught my attention is what happens? How do you get to the end? What the and I've come to conclude that the rest of Psalm 95 illustrates an important part of what worship is meant to do, as worship is meant to be. Um, it ends, it, it goes, there's the turning point is this line. Today, if you hear his voice, today, if you hear his voice. God calls his people together to worship because he wants to speak into our hearts and lives. It is hard to hear God on our own. Uh, Maybe you do. Maybe some people say, oh, I hear God's voice told me to do this, or God, you know. It doesn't work too well for me most of the time. Sometimes I hear clearly on my own. But I think we are meant to to gather together because I think we help each other hear what God is saying. See, I, I think God is about creating a community of disciples who are learning together how to follow Jesus. So we need each other to to learn how to hear God's voice together. We help each other know him. And, And I'm convinced, whatever got you here today, that you might hear his voice today if you hear his voice. Maybe you'll hear it in something I say in the sermon, but it's just as likely you may hear it in the worship songs. That we sing one one line of a song, God might speak into your hearts through it. Or it might even just be how someone greets you. Maybe loneliness is the biggest factor in your life right now. And the fact that someone greeted you is exactly what you needed from God this day. Or, you know, I, I know, brothers and sisters, when we arrive for worship, we have a thousand things on our mind. But hear me, how we interact with our fellow believers if we can tune into them and be aware of maybe they're going through a hard time as well, we can have an impact even just by showing up on Sunday mornings. So I thank you all for being here today. And it says, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. God may speak, but his people may tune him out. He may speak in a way something that they didn't want to hear. And then it gives an example from the history of Israel. And you could read about that in Exodus 17. It's a really short narrative um, in Exodus about an event that happens while the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness after they had been released from slavery in Egypt. Moses had led them out of Egypt, led them through the Red Sea. You might know that story. Um, But before they get to Mount Sinai, and God gives them the Ten Commandments, as they're wandering through the desert, they they run out of water. Um, They have nothing to drink, no water for them or their animals. That's a pretty big deal, right? Imagine a whole million people or so, and there's, there's no water. And here's the thing. They are not wrong to bring their concerns to God, their shepherd, at that point. But the problem seems to be how they bring it to God. And it says they come to God and they blame and accuse him. 
they question his motives. Did you bring us out in the desert just to kill us? Did, you know, what are you about, God? Instead of coming and listening to what God might say, they come accusing. Um, the word Meribah means quarreling. They choose to quarrel with God instead of being responsive to what God might say. And then they demand proof. They demand God does what they, they say he should do. They put God to the test. The word Massah means testing. God fixed this problem in the way we demand. And because they become quarrelsome and they test God, God is angry. Think about it this way. All the stuff that God had done to get them there. All the, these are not people who didn't have a chance to see God do amazing things. They saw the ten plagues fall upon the Egyptians. They, they saw the God part the seas to save them from the Egyptian army. They, God had given them, them food in the morning, just appearing in the desert. God had provided for them time and again, and yet still this people would not listen God is exasperated. He's not saying it so much in anger. He's just exasperated that they will not listen to him. I think it's also an interesting thing to note that the religious leaders said very similar things when Jesus was on the cross giving his life for their salvation. They said, come down if you are the son of God. Prove it. They quarreled. They mocked him. And they tested him. Show us who you are if you're really the son of God. Just because you're religious doesn't mean you can't have a heart that's been hardened to God. And God says in his anger, they shall never enter my rest. I wonder if that is not necessarily so much a punishment, but is just a natural consequence when we will not open our hearts to God, when we will not listen to Him, we miss out on the rest that comes when we are in that right and peaceful relationship with God. Think for a minute. Why does God want us, demand that we worship? Is God up in heaven so insecure that He needs people to praise Him lest He feel bad? Is he up there worried, oh no, what if, what if they don't like me? They better praise me so that I'm, I'm reassured. Does God need our reassurance? Is that why he demands that we worship? Is he like a politician who has to take poll after poll to be convinced that people like him? No. God is not insecure. He does not need our worship in any way. He lives in perfect peace and light and joy. Um, but he knows that we need to worship. He knows that when we worship, we're joining in his rest, in his peace, and he wants to bring us into that. Now, I also know life in the real world. There, there are some mornings you wake up and you're not always in the mood to come to worship. Um, and, I, you know, maybe if you have children or teenagers, you might have had to bribe them. To, to, to get, I, I have a question for all the kids and teens. Has, did your, has your parents ever had to bribe you with like donuts to get you to come to worship? Can, can I get a hand? Has that ever had to happen? Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I see at least, I knew I'd find at least one. So we have, um, yes, the Reed family is not above using bribes if that's what it takes to, you know. Um, there was a, a mother who was frustrated because her son wouldn't get up for worship and she she goes into his room to try, it's time to get up for worship. And like, ah. And so, you know, five more minutes. And, and so she goes back down. She comes back up. Hey, you got it. You're you're gonna be late. You gotta get gotta get ready for worship. Nah, I don't want to go to worship today. And and she, you know, gives him a little more time. Finally, she comes back. Come on, it's it's time. You gotta get up now for for worship. He says, "Tell me why I have I have to go to worship." And she looks at him because you're 45 years old and you're the pastor. <laughs> have you ever dragged yourself? to church <laughs> and then something happened and you heard the voice of God um, uh, there's a, a, a guy who came once in, and it was Father's Day and he, he didn't want to come to worship he had never had the opportunity to be a father even though he really had wanted to be and he said I just couldn't take another Father's Day sermon that was you know, aimed at them. And and he said something, you know, he didn't want to come, but he said something said I need to. And so he came, and this is a few years back, and I don't remember what I preached on. Um, I just know it wasn't probably a typical Father's Day sermon, and whatever it was, he's like, God spoke to him that day. And he was so glad he came. Something spoke to his heart that spoke to his life. We believe God can speak in the midst of this. So, but Psalm 95 says, even if you hear his voice, there could be a problem. It's possible to come to worship without opening your heart to God, to gather with the people of God and yet tune out his voice, to be numbered as one of his and yet not know his ways. Doesn't it say that they, their hearts go astray and they do not know me? It's not just enough to show up. Showing up's pretty important, but just showing up is enough. If you're only coming to church out of duty with the intent of putting in your time and then going out to lunch afterwards, you're going to miss something. We have to open up our hearts and minds to what God would say to us and worship. The, the reason we do the singing first, one of that is because is we know sometimes you're coming with a heart that's calloused or just tired or whatever and and we need to to be drawn in and so i'm so thankful for our worship team and leaders how the the songs can slowly draw us in so that by the time we do get to the message we're ready to all right god i I believe you have something to say today that's the intent of it at least worship is meant to open our hearts that we might hear the voice of god God calls his people together into the church that together they might hear his voice and respond to him. So the word church is the word ekklesia. It is the Greek word that means assembly. And in fact, throughout the Psalms, you'll you'll hear David say, I praised you in the great assembly. That word when the Hebrew scriptures are translated the Greek, they chose the word ekklesia which then became the word that they used for the church in the New Testament. 
And the word ecclesia means the ones who are called out. You see, when we hear Jesus and we put our faith in him, he calls us out of this world, and then he calls us together into his people. He calls us out of this world. He calls us together, and we learn as a community of disciples how to follow him together. We learn together how to follow Jesus. And what happens when we do? What promise do we have? I love Matthew eleven twenty eight, where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I pray that as we gather in worship regularly, coming together, that we find rest for our souls, that, that, that the living water fills our heart and so that we can come with all the more joy and peace and love that we have. So friends, a few questions. What causes church people to end up with hardened hearts so that they cannot hear God's voice? What, what leads people, church people, to have hearts that we, we tune out God's voice? And then for you personally, can you think of a time when you came and you heard the, the, the voice of God, the voice of the Lord speak to your life at a worship time and he spoke to your life in some meaningful way just call that to mind Jesus wanted to emphasize that that we we are in this together and that we follow him together and so when he gave the lord's supper to us as a practice he emphasized something says that there's one loaf of bread and one cup. Now, for practical reasons, we, we end up having lots of little bits of bread that are already divided, and we have little mini couplets, you know. So, yes, I know we're not living up to the, to the metaphor perfectly, but, but at the first communion, there was one loaf, one bread, and one cup signifying that we are one people united together in Christ and our faith in him. So as we head towards sharing in this Lord's Supper together, um, I want to allow for a time of confession to give you some, some time and, and lay before God anything, any barriers that are between you and God. But I also want you to, to give thought to. Has there been a barrier between you and the people of God? Has there been something in your life, some conflict or some attitude that has kept you from engaging fully in the people of God? And whatever it is, just own, own up to God with that during this time of confession. Lay it before Him. And let, 
let him speak to you about that. So let's come to the Lord and just in the silence of our hearts, pray and confess to him. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for the great salvation which we have through your son Jesus Christ, that, that you have blessed us with every blessing we could ask for and more, and that through Christ we are empowered to live in a new way, a new way of, of his, his love and grace flowing out through us. And so, Father, as we get ready to depart from here, may we know that your spirit goes with us and leads us into the path that you would have us live. May as we encounter people day by day, um, that, that the grace of Christ would flow through us in our responses to them. May we live differently because you are in us and you are with us. May we, lo- may we love differently because we have worshipped you and your voice has spoken to us. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. In closing, please stand and let's sing together the great hymn of praise, the doxology. invite you to express our faith in Jesus as we pray in the way he's taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Go now in the power of the Holy Spirit as you live out Jesus in our community. Amen.